I really wanted to get a podcast out this week on my regular schedule, but I don't know. I've been kind of off and I've been trying to identify what it is that's been bothering me so much. Like I just, I haven't been sleeping well. I've been having weird dreams. And, uh, I mean, last night I had a bit of a, I guess an epiphany. I'm sitting at home and I'm just, I don't know. I don't even know what I was thinking about. I was just, I was just looking stuff up. I was on Quora reading like random shit. And I got pulled in, this is the day before actually yesterday, I got pulled into a conversation with someone I had as a guest on the show, a doctor. And uh, I mean, we didn't have it out, but we, we had a back and forth about, you know, restrictions and inoculations and that kind of stuff, right? And I realized as I was talking to him and defending my position or whatever you want to call it, or we were just having a conversation. It wasn't aggressive or anything. Like, I know the guy. Um, I realized that I'm not sure what it is. And I don't mean about COVID. I just mean in general. I'm not sure where my belief system falls anymore. And this is not the first time this has happened. Like, anyone who's followed me for a while knows that I have shifted belief systems throughout my life. Um, I'm having a hard time articulating what I'm trying to say. So let's just start easy. My name is Phil Balabanos, and welcome to Fill My Hole. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what it is that I believe anymore. I remember feeling this way. I want to say I must have been like 17 or 16 when I completely lost touch with religion. Like there was a, there was like a, a watershed moment where I was like, yeah, as much as I try, as much as I want to believe in this, I just don't anymore, right? So that was the first time I ever experienced something like that. And it's, it's a pivotal moment in your life as a human being. Like when you believe something wholeheartedly and then suddenly either new information is given to you or I don't know, maybe you just, there's like a shift in your thinking and you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't believe this anymore. So last night, that epiphany that I was talking about, I was sitting outside and I was reading about some guy who got radicalized during, uh, I mean, during the, the war on terror. Like uh, he was like an, a jihadist, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, and I was like, radicalization is such a crazy concept, right? And people have such a hard time explaining it, but it's actually really simple. Like the story behind how someone gets radicalized is not always the same, but it's kind of always exactly the same. And the epiphany moment that I had was finding myself at this like, I don't know, crossroads or whatever, this intellectual, intellectual crossroads. I realized I've made, I've made a few short films, right? I, I refer to the posters behind me often. But the two that are like the closest to my, to my heart, I guess, for lack of a better expression, but the two that speak the most to me, like when I look back on them and I was like, I'm so glad I did these. These were important to me. They were important culturally, socially. I'm glad that my voice was part of that conversation are my two first, well, they're not actually my two first, but are the two first posters, which is hashtag pseudocracy and dichotomous. What I realized last night in that epiphany moment was both those films tell the story of how someone becomes radicalized. And I, ne I didn't write them for that. That's not why I did it. <laughs> um, they had their own reasons. I mean, I was aware of the radicalization elements, but I mean, at their core, they're the same story told from two different perspectives, right? 
And I think maybe part of me instinctively always knew what I was doing, but I had never overtly and consciously realized that that's what I had done. And my fucking brain exploded last night. I was like, what the hell? How, how did I do this without knowing I was doing it? And why did I do it? And the more I think about it, the more I've realized that throughout my life, any creative project I've undertaken, any political like leaning or political affiliation I've taken on has been either in the quest to understand it or to fight it, or in some moments been a victim of radicalization, like it's happened to me, right? And it's like it completely context, man. You look back on stuff and you're like, wow, what the hell was I doing? So that's kind of what I want to this, yeah, it's basically what I want to talk about today. Like, the idea that radicalization is such a simple concept, right? And I don't only mean, like, uh, religious uh, radicalization. I mean, any kind of belief system. You can be radicalized. Like, you look at what's happening with people who are very pro uh, the vaccine, for example, right? And I use them because they're not the obvious example. They've been radicalized a little bit. Like, there's nothing wrong with believing in science. There's nothing wrong with trusting that we can create treatments and medications that can help us get through a pandemic. There's nothing wrong with that. The real issue is how they go about it. Like, this, this groupthink mentality, this constantly calling out, this, the, I mean, the people use the term virtue signaling, but I'm not sure if it is that exactly. But like, like look, look at me. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for everyone. I'm such a good person, right? And... Anyone who falls outside of that sphere, that group, is just instantly villainized. I mean, if that's not a radical approach to something, if that's not radicalization to some extent, I don't know what it is. Because um, I'm pretty sure that's what that is. And it's a scary thought, right? Like to think that something so simple could make people so crazy. I look back and I think about when I was, oh, how old was I? Let me let me get this right in terms of timeline. I must have been fifth. No, I want to say sixteen, seventeen. So I've just lost touch with religion. Like at that point in my life, I'm working at this sketchy restaurant, like an open kitchen, um, and the guys there are like, they're all Greeks. Like some of them are from Greece, some of them are like new immigrants, some of them are not, and all they talk about, all the time is how awesome Greece is and how awesome Greeks are and all the stuff we've done in our history, right? And I don't mean like it comes up in conversation. I mean like that's all, that's their entire persona. And they introduced me to 300, the book. It wasn't a movie yet. And I read it, I'm like, this is awesome. This is so cool. And slowly but surely in that period, I mean, this must be like late, mid-2000s. I'm still in high school, so like 2003, Greece is in a good geopolitical position. Like, there's not a lot going on. I mean, they've just come out of that whole lie about the euro, like, fudging their numbers. So, like, things are getting sketchy. But really, the crisis hasn't hit yet, right? It's coming. Some people know it's coming, but it's coming. And this is the point where it starts to, like, their society starts to take hits, right? And you see the golden dawn for the first time in history, like, in the history of Greece start to, start to like, kind of rally a bit more popular support. These guys that I was working with, fully aware of the Golden Dawn, um, and talking about how awesome they were. 
And it only took like two weeks before I was like, these guys are awesome. This is this Golden Dawn party. They're what we need. They got cool uniforms. They respect our history and our culture. And within two, three weeks, I was like fully on board trying to get in touch with their, their leader in Greece who was in jail at the time, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And like writing letters about how we need a chapter here because the Greeks here have forgotten their ways. And like, I was radicalized, 100%. And then I meet this kid from Greece who ended up being a very close friend of mine for, me, for years. And I told him about the Golden Dawn. He's like, what are you fucking talking about? I go, he goes, those guys are neo-Nazis. But nobody had ever framed it in that context for me. They were liberators as far as I knew, right? And there wasn't, the internet was not what it is today. It was harder to find information. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like when I say I wrote letters, I don't mean I wrote emails. Like I wrote physical letters by hand. And like I sent them with postage. <laughs> And all it took was that one statement. I was like, what are you talking about? And I got very aggressive with him. I go, you're wrong. You don't know. He's like, how would I not know? Like, I lived in Athens my whole life. You're from here. What do you know that I don't? I've seen them firsthand. And I started, like, just questioning it. I was like, oh, that's weird. Why would he say that? Like, what? Does he hate Greek people? Is he a, a, an anti-Greek? Like, why would he say that, right? And he very calmly, without ever raising his voice, never arguing with me, just kind of told me their policies that he knew of, the ones he knew. And I think they did have like a, like a primitive website where you could get some information and he would just read a line from their website out to me or from the, one of their online things that we had found, be like, okay, this, because, you know, uh, Greece is for Greeks, kind of example, I don't remember what it was. And he'd break it down, he's like, that just means they don't want anyone who's not Greek to be in Greece. I'm like, what's wrong with that? He goes, that's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous concept. Think about that for a second. Basically, if you don't look and sound like them, you need to leave. I'm like, well, they shouldn't come in the first place. He goes, but that's not what they're saying. They're talking about like mass deportations and beatings because they've been doing that in like, they were street gang. And that's an odd example, but, and it's not exactly precise, but I, I don't remember the exact conversation now. Like looking back, I remember emotions more than I remember details of this encounter. And I just, I remember leaving that conversation. I was like, what the fuck? Like, my, grand, my, my, my ancestors, my ancestors, not even my ancestors, my grandparents, like, fought Nazis. Like, I'm supporting these guys who are basically supporting a similar ideology to the Nazis. And it was, it was fucking crazy. And it was very quick, the turnaround for me. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? What have I done? And I had a period in my life, especially right after, like, uh, like as I was in, in Sejap and like th that period of my life where I wasn't really in school, like I was in Sejap and I wasn't and I was again and I wasn't and I was kind of in university. That whole period of my life, I feel like those were the years where I started to like, because before then being Greek had been a massive part of my identity. It always had been. Uh, I've talked about it on other episodes, like how that happened, because even that was a form of radicalization because I felt singled out. I felt different. So I leaned into the things that made me different and became super Greek or whatever. Because, like, my high school had no other... I mean, there was a few other Greeks, but not really. And most of the school was, like, uh, Moroccan Jewish kids or, like, 14th generation Canadian Jewish kids. Like, the school was primarily Jewish. And they, they thought it was hilarious that I was Greek. It was the funniest thing in the world to them. I don't know why. I mean, the only Greeks they had ever interacted with were at, like, restaurants. And I'm, I'm my family, we don't have any restaurants. Like, we don't. <laughs> we're not those types of Greek immigrants. I mean, my parents aren't even immigrants. They're born and raised in Canada. So the idea that I would lean in so heavily is even more strange, right? 
Like my parents used to joke, they used to say, he feels Greeker than us. Like he is. I mean, my dad used to write texts in Greek for because he was part of an organization where he had to, and he would like have me proofread them. Like think about how fucked up that is for a split second. I don't mean my immigrant dad brought me English text and he said, son, make this look more English. Like he gave me Greek and he's like, can you correct this? And I used to, and I still can. I mean, my father-in-law just yesterday handed me, he's from Greece. <laughs> he handed me a, a, a document. He's like, I have to send this to the Greek embassy. Can you just proof it? And I did. I mean, I'm, my Greek is not as good as it used to be. I will say that. Uh, it's a use it or lose it situation. Like I don't get to, I don't, I have no one to really speak Greek to anymore. I mean, I speak Greek with Pantelis beside him, but like we speak broken Greek and broken English mixed together in this like weird Montreal dialect. But like all my friends who are from Greece, who I primarily communicated with in Greek, are are gone. Like they went to Greece or they moved to other countries and they're doing their own thing. Uh, the only people I speak fully in Greek to are my grandparents. I mean, thank God for that. Like they're still around. So my point is, even then I, I was radicalized in high school. Like by feeling diminished, by feeling marginalized, it was very easy for me to become this radical version of myself. And then I saw it progress into when I discovered the Golden Dawn and. And I think about the stuff that I wholeheartedly believed during that period of my life. And I want to say I have regrets, but I don't because without that context in my life, my opinions would be very different today. So it, I think it's important that I experience that. But I, I will say that I look back at the things I believed and publicly said at times, even some posts that I've been able to track down where I said some really stupid fucking things. That I'm just... I'm embarrassed. But at the same time, I look back and I'm like, this kid was 16 years old. He had no idea what he was saying. Which is why, like, I don't tend to, like, when they pull out old tweets from, like, 20 years ago, I'm like, that's not the same person that you're accusing today. That's a different person. So, it's very easy, very easy to, it happens, like, especially in immigrant communities like like mine, like communities like, uh, I mean, it's weird. It's a, it's a weird term because I'm not an immigrant. I'm not. I'm as Canadian as maple syrup, right? But neither are my parents. I mean, they're more Canadian than me, if anything. They're l way less ethnic. So it's, it's weird. Like, but I still feel that way. And that's primarily because of two things. One, the fact that I grew up within the Greek community in Montreal, the organization. I mean, and the community in like a non-official sense. Um, that plays into how I was raised and what I was raised to believe because I went to a Greek school. So like we were taught what they're taught in Greece. Um, like it's the same books as far as the Greek program. But the, the, then there's French, right? There's the French aspect. So that's all from the Ministère de l'Education here in Quebec. So you have these two conflicting ideologies because like the way they teach Quebec history, there's a lot of victimization of the, the Quebec nation, right? But the way they teach Greek history is there's a lot of victimization of the Greek nation and how great they were and look how we've fallen because of someone else. Like the, the education system is fucked in every country for the most part. Uh, but once you get into the Balkans, it gets wild. Like the national myth and all this stuff. Like I remember, <laughs> I remember being like 14 or 15 and we used to do religion class. It was a Greek Orthodox school. And at one point I asked what Jesus's last name was to the teacher. And she's like, why do you want to know Jesus? Like, of Nazareth, like that was his name. But she said in Greek, which was like, or I forget what it is exactly. And I was like, that was his last name? She's like, well, no, it's where he was from. I'm like, where is that? She's like, and she showed me on a map. It's here. I'm like, was that part of ancient Greece? She's like, no. I'm like, wait, hold on. This Greek guy was born somewhere else? She's like, no, Jesus wasn't a Greek guy. 
It's like, what do you mean Jesus wasn't a Greek guy? What? Like, my brain couldn't process that information at that age. I'm sorry. Um, my mic's stuck. I'm just trying to fix it. Sorry about that. So, like, I know that's a weird little simple example, but it's just, it's part of how, like, it's, a, it's how you're raised, right? So, like, my kid goes to the same school, and they're going to teach her the same. Look, for all its weirdness, there was a lot of great education. I find that studying the Greek language is extremely important. I think it's something, like, look, as a trade language, kind of useless. Let's be serious. Nobody really speaks Greek. But the way the language itself is structured, and I mean, this goes for learning any other languages. It's good to learn more languages. But because of the way the language is structured, it's always allowed me, as a Greek speaker, to be able to pick up other... Like, I mean, I've never really picked up another language properly besides French and English. I speak a bit of Spanish, and I can understand Italian, and a bit of Catalan. Believe it or not, I found out when I was in, in Catalonia. Um, because a mi like French, English, and Greek, especially French and Greek together, you, you speak those two languages, you've just opened up a whole new world of access into Romance languages. Because the Romance languages all follow similar grammatical structure to Latin. Greek shares a lot with Latin in terms of structure. Um, and if you already speak French, and then Latin has so many Greek words in it also, all of a sudden, you can more or less understand like the gist of most conversations, especially if they're written. So I think that that helps. Also, it helps in terms of like if you're an English speaker and you understand Greek really well, you've just unlocked a, a massive like a treasure trove of, of words in English, like a lexicon that most people do not have access to, which allows you to have conversations on a much more precise and I'll say scientific, but it's not the right term, scientific level. Like uh, just there's so much Greek in English, right? And again, learning another language is a good thing. But I remember, going back to my radicalization thing, when I was in the... So, so I, did, I did regular high school here in Quebec, but I also did Greek high school on Saturdays, like a condensed version of it, right? So I did three years of, I guess the equivalent would be high school or junior high, kind of, which is called gymnasio, like gymnasium in Greek. And then I did three years of lyceum which is uh, like high school or lycée in French. So there's six years instead of five, because here we do five in high school, right? On the sixth year, they did this big uh, diaspora, like student competition, where you basically had to write like a long form essay on a topic of your choice, and it would be sent to Greece. And it was like, a, what was it fucking called? It's called the Congress of Teens or of Teenagers. Like it was for teens, Greek teens around the world. Basically, they, the ones who won, they read your essay in the Greek parliament. Like, it was cool. It was, like, an interesting thing. So I wrote this, this really long, really fucking poignant essay on... Uh, what is the term in English? I guess the term in English would be similar to the term in Greek. It's xenomania. That was the title of the essay. It was about how Greece as a country and as a culture has become obsessed with all, thing foreign, all things foreign. Which I still believe, by the way. Like, they truly are. The same way you see like Westerners obsessed with Asian culture, Greece is like that too because it's different from their own culture and they become obsessed with it. Um, so I, it was basically an essay, like a damning piece on how like they've lost touch with their roots and they're reaching for things that they don't need culturally and linguistically. And, and I had a lot of examples about how Greeks don't use Greek words for certain things. They'll use like a French word or an English word or whatever. 
the first thing that comes to mind is like uh, weekend. Like they'll say weekend. Like they won't say like the proper Greek term, which is Savatokiriako. It's much longer. Greek is much more verbose structure in terms of words. A lot of compound words. And I mean, now I understand, like, it's just easier to say it. Like, I get it. So, but this was all built on the idea of superiority of the language, of the culture, of the people. And this is also during that same period where I'm slowly being radicalized by my environment in my regular high school and learning about the Golden Dawn. So, like, I look back at this and it's such a simple, like, looking back, it's so easy to see how it happens. And now I look back on the things I believe that I'm like, that's stupid. My, my thesis was that they're killing the language. But a language is not a static thing. A language is alive. It grows and it develops. And the idea of purifying it, which has happened with many languages over the years, is, is stupid, like beyond stupid. So I look back on that and I'm like, what the fuck was I talking about? I read the essay like two weeks ago. I still have a copy of it. Written by hand, by the way. My terrible handwriting. So, I mean, I, I don't... I don't think I can be held responsible for those beliefs because I was in a period of my life where I was learning. I was growing as a human being, right? Which I think a lot of people, once they find something they believe in, they just stick to it and they stop asking questions. Luckily for me, for some reason, my own curiosity has been my undoing most times. And that brings me to today. Like, I made two movies that explore radicalization, right? And I feel like the pandemic, or the last two years, not the pandemic itself, but the last two years... I'm on the cusp of being radicalized again because I, I have a lot of rage, like a lot of anger about what's going on in general. But then I look at the things, like I'll, you know what, I'll go to it. The Pfizer documents, right? I'm guilty. I'm guilty of spreading the wrong information. I did it once. I didn't do it more than once, but I did it once. I read the list of adverse effects, of adverse events, and I was like, oh my God, nine pages of side effects. Holy shit. They fucking lied to us. They gave us poison. That's the thought process in my head, right? Then I called Pants and I was like, look, man, the fucking documents came out. He's like, really? Did they fuck us? I'm like, it looks like it, you know? I had this quick conversation on the phone, but I'm an idiot. I hadn't done any research. I had barely even skimmed the fucking first three pages. The next day, I looked at it again and... I mean, they're adverse events. They're self-recorded adverse events. Sure. Could there be lies in there? Yeah. Could they have buried other information in there? Sure, maybe. But that's not what they are. So everyone sharing them is either in the same position I was or is actively hiding the truth, which is they're not side effects. They're adverse events. They've, they're self-recorded. Once I realized that, <clears throat> I went and I checked a bunch of other documents for similar documents for other vaccines they more or less read the same. I mean, most, to be honest, most medications have a crazy list of adverse events because they have to, it's part of the process. But I, I'm looking at vaccines specifically. <coughs> Again, I'm not a doctor. But it's pretty obvious, like the language is clear, like these are adverse events that happened in the days prior to taking the vaccine. It doesn't mean there has been any correlation. We have not found it. Could they have not looked? Maybe, but that's not the point. That's not what people are saying. So even that, it mean, really made me question how fast, because at the beginning of the pandemic, I wasn't reacting fast to stuff. I was taking the time to really take in information. And, but after I had that weird, whatever it was, that anxious break that I had uh, during the second wave where I was like a mess for months, I could barely function, I started jumping onto stuff much quicker because it made me feel comfortable. I felt safer doing it. Like, ah, 
I'm, fi- I'm raging against the machine, you know? Is there money at play? Is there fucking corruption? Is there breaches of, like, human rights in terms of, like, forcing people to do something they don't want to? I mean, absolutely. Is it worth it for the greater good? I don't think so. Uh, I'm sorry, but I'd rather see us all go down a mess than be forced into doing something sometimes. And who knows? That's how I feel today. I might not feel the same way tomorrow because uh, I'm, I'm not really sure. It's not like a conviction. It's just I'm not sure. Um, but I don't like the idea that we have to be forced to do something. Uh, it seems it seems wrong from a, a basic human standpoint. Like we've spent so much of our history as a species trying to be free of other people's influence or power or whatever. And now to just say, okay, for the greater good, like, I don't know, it, it kind of seems odd. It's weird to me that the most leftist, most socialist parties are the ones implementing these kind of things based on what they've been saying for the past 30, 40 years, which is we are the party of the people and individual rights for these people. The government will provide. Not the government will dic- dictate. The government will provide. Like, don't forget, I was of, of a card-carrying member of the NDP. There was a time in my life where I almost ran with the NDP. I turn, I walked away from the Conservative Party uh, who was trying to hire me, and I was like, no, I won't make fucking videos for you monsters. I think back to that. That's one of my, not big regrets, but like financially it would have changed my life if I had done those campaigns, right? But, I mean, if the Conservative Party would approach me today and say, we need a commercial, I would do it. Like, I have no philosophical issues with doing it right now because the Liberals are not a party that represents anything, I believe, right now. I, I vehemently dislike Justin Trudeau. I do not like him. Um, maybe not as a person. Maybe as a person, he's a good guy. I don't know. But as a leader, he is not what this country needs right now at all. He's, he's too caught up in other things, and he's more worried about how people feel about him. And once that radicalization happened in the population, it became obvious that he was just going to keep pandering to his camp, which is radicalized, which in turn makes him a radical leader, and say just crazy inflammatory shit. And then he invokes the Emergency Measures Act. Like, I, I just, to this day, it's been weeks now, I'm like, why did he do that? Like, it didn't even serve a purpose. But I digress from that. And I think it's interesting. I think how people get radicalized is a, an extremely nuanced yet very simple procedure. You need to be made to feel like you're less, like you're either in danger or your livelihood's in danger, marginalized, for lack of a I'm not going to get into like a whole discussion about what one word could explain, right? And once you're there, once you're at the bottom, anything that makes you feel good or safe or have hope, you'll latch onto it for fucking dear life. And I, I keep saying the same thing over and over. I keep saying it's so interesting because I really think it's extremely interesting and it's so telling about what it means to be a, like a human fucking being. Because all we want to do is feel like we're in control and that we're safe, right? Or that our families are safe. So when you hear the story of like Muslim extremists who attacked, I don't know, an American embassy somewhere, I mean, you got to really stop and think like, yes, what they did is inexcusable. They killed people. It's wrong. They should be tried and punished. 
But the idea that there's some kind of monster so different from anything we've ever encountered before is fucking wrong. Because those guys a generation ago or three or whatever, they would have been freedom fighters fighting against uh, an imperial system. And when I used to hang out with my anarchist buddies, they used to say stuff like that, like, well, the Americans had it coming. I'm like, I mean, maybe the American government had it coming, but the American people who die, they didn't really have anything coming. He goes, yeah, but once you get into that situation, there is no right or wrong. It's just, it's a war. And I'm like, I get that. And you look at what's happening in the Ukraine with Russia and everyone screaming, like, let's fucking stop Putin. Look, man, I said this last time. I think what's happening, what, what Putin is doing is disgusting. I think he's a war criminal. I think it should be tried. I also feel the same way about some of our leaders, right? But let's focus on this and let's not what about it. Like, let's focus on this. He's doing this right now. What should we do? We're all big, strong, ego-driven, fucking freedom-loving motherfuckers. What, we're just going to go to war with Russia? Like, what does that look like? How does that fucking play out? How do you enter into, like, a massive conflict with a nuclear power? Like, you, I don't want to fucking die. I don't want my kids to live in a nuclear winter. I want them to have a future. So, like, I, but I don't want Ru Russia to destroy the Ukraine either. I mean, I have no real deep connection to the Ukrainian people. But they're still people. I don't want a sovereign state to be invaded. That makes me angry. But we, we, did, we did some similar shit just recently, like in the last couple of years. Like there's been a few wars that weren't really wars. They were kind of proxy wars. But we were always the aggressors. We the West, right? And that doesn't make what's happening now right. No, of course not. It's fucking ridiculous. We need a solution. Diplomacy is probably the only solution. I'm just unclear about, and I think most people are, what it is exactly that Putin wants. But the second you have a visible threat like that, people become, and there's a great word in Greek, it's called stratokavli, means uh, there's no real translation, but it's so good. It's basically people who have a hard on for fucking war. They're just fucking hard up for war. If there is a word for it in English, I'd love to know it. I don't know what it is. But stratokavli, they just want to fucking, they want to shoot something and they want to, I mean, they don't, they're fucking morons, most of them. But like anyone who's advocating for war right now, I have to question the integrity of your mind and your moral compass because why would we want to go to war? We don't want to go to war. Nobody wants to go to war. The Russians don't even want to go to the war. It's just Putin who's doing this and he's hiding in a bunker somewhere, right? Or maybe I don't know where the fuck he is. My point is radicalization. We have an enemy. He's questioning whatever you think you have. Like is it in danger? What will happen? Is he going to do something? We need to stop him. War, ah, bang the drum. Like, I feel like we're too emotional as a species, even though I think that's one of the most important, important parts of like being human. Like, we, we're too quick to address an emotional concern and say, oh, I have a solution, it's war. We're short-sighted. And I feel like we never learn. And that doesn't go for all of us. I think most of us, I think a lot of us are that way. I think a lot of us try not to be. I, I like to think that I'm... I probably am that way, but I like to think that I try not to be. I mean, that's all I can ask of anyone. Try. Um, it's hard. It's not easy. I mean, I still get, uh, I mean, I still have anxiety. I still wake up days and I'm like, why the fuck do I feel off? Why? Sometimes there's no reason. It just happens. Sometimes, like today, I mean, I'm not anxious this second, but today in the sense of like what I'm talking about right now, I realized like by pondering on it and thinking and reflecting, I was like, oh, that's why I'm so fucked up right now. Like I feel this external force of 
my belief system is being shaken a bit. Like, I'm not sure if the things I've believed for the last two years are true or not. So I don't know what the right solution is. I don't know where my position is on certain things. I feel like I keep getting pulled into these conversations that are just a series of surface facts with no research. So I'm just regurgitating nonsense. And I don't want to be that guy. Like, I never did. Um, and I don't want to be associated with that to some extent either, right? Like the other day, someone who's a fan of the morning show sent me something as if to prove to me that what I was saying was wrong. But like, I mean, I already knew that. I, I was never saying that. I was part of a conversation in which that was said. But like, I was like, I, I never said that. I don't believe that. If I inadvertently made it sound like I do or that you should, then I fucked up. Like, because... Like, I don't, like, look, I'm not a newscaster. I'm just a podcaster. I'm just a random guy with a microphone saying some shit, having some fun with my buddies most of the time. But, like, if I'm actively spreading wrong information knowingly, I mean, I'm an asshole. So if I've ever said anything that isn't true, I mean, I probably thought it was true at the time. Uh, but, again, I don't think I really have. I mean, maybe I have. I'm not sure. I, I like to think that I didn't, or if I did, that I revisited it. I know on this just thing when I would accidentally, because Pants used to say crazy shit. That was the gig, right? He would say crazy shit. I would try to do the news. He's a comedian. I was whatever I was. I was the straight man in the equation. So like a few times I retracted stuff. Like I put like a little thing under saying after the story, we realized that we got this part wrong. But that's only if I said it. If he was saying a joke, I mean, I was not going to fucking correct his joke on and to be like, oh, this, I know this is funny, but... No, but if I gave wrong information, I would always... Like, I feel a moral obligation. There's no, like, legal issue here. This is a moral obligation, right? Because everything I do is in the quest for the truth, objective truth, as much as it, like, not some democratized version of the truth, but the actual truth. And I feel like that used to be simpler, but I don't think that's true. I think it was always hard. I think I just... I was a bit more naive when I was younger, and I thought the truth was more... I mean was simpler to come to. And I'll go back to those two movies about radicalization. I'm just going to brief summarize them. <clears throat> and it'll kind of get you to understand how I ended up down this weird tangent of a conversation. Sudocracy is the story of a, of a Greek Canadian. I mean, it's not made specific. Like, it could be in the States or any Commonwealth country, right? Um, the story of a Greek Canadian who was born in Canada and went back to Greece as a child with his family, and who has now returned to Canada during the height of the crisis, the 2008 financial crisis, looking for a better life. He's become an immigrant again, basically. But he's a Canadian citizen. Upon his arrival to Canada, he is met with a weird and something he had not expected, public opinion about Greek people. Why did I do this? Like, what was the point? During the crisis, I noticed, especially on Twitter, how truth stopped mattering. And there was this almost, it felt organized to some extent, this organized campaign of tweets and articles and headlines and images that were taking the image of Greek people, which up until 2008, anyone I had ever met, the image of Greeks in general was, very, one, very positive, Two, hardworking and just happy and jovial and like sort of the Greek, breaking plates. Not 100% accurate, but I mean, not hurting anyone. People liked us. In 2008, though, it switched all of a sudden. We became this corrupt, 
which we were. <laughs> I mean, that's not, that's not that wrong. But this corrupt European backwater nation who didn't deserve to be part of Europe because we were lazy, racist, and thought we were better than everyone. One of those three things is true as far as like the Greek psyche as I've observed it, in my opinion. Two of them are not. Greeks work longer hours than any other Europeans. The last time I checked the fucking report, like the statistics of it. Uh, the average Greek is not a racist. I mean, far from it, if anything. And I mean, thinking they're better than people. I mean, I won't get into that. There is like a, a general superiority complex amongst Greeks. Uh, but again, that comes from the education system. <clears throat> Can't blame them. Uh, I mean, I can. They should ask more questions, but still, like, I, I, they're not hurting anyone. They're not trying to be assholes about it. But this idea that they were lazy and would steal from you was, like, completely new. And I saw it happening in front of my eyes. I watched the narrative change for the first time in my life. And the tagline of that movie is reshaping reality 140 characters at the time. Because at, at, at the time, Twitter was only 140 characters. That title, Sudocracy, to be governed by lies, to reshape reality, I've always been very proud of. I never thought it would be more... I never thought in 2012 when I made that movie that 10 years later, not the story itself, but the message of the movie would be so much more poignant. I'm sad that I was so on the nose. Honestly, I truly am, because if that was the beginnings of something... We're in it now, like we're deep in it. Nothing matters uh, in, in terms of truth or, or, or lies. Whatever's on Twitter is the truth. And people have lost their ability to, to critically think. And that fucking scares the life out of me. As far as the radicalization aspect, I mean, I don't want to spoil my own film, but I mean, I don't think anyone's going to go and watch it. Once we see this main character get beaten down by th this new truth, he gets radicalized in a moment of pure emotional response, right? That's all I'll say about it. Dichotomous, on the other hand, the second film, Dichotomous, it's, it's called Dichotomous, like as in a dichotomy, like, like kind of like cognitive dissonance, I guess. That's a bad way to explain it, but like a, a split, right? Because for me, Dichotomous was made while I was watching like uh, my community, the Greek diaspora communities, like schism down the center between like what we had traditionally believed to be true about us ourselves and like this new wave of like the golden dawn, like this super nationalism that was not just like pride, but racism to some extent. In that one, the main character is not a radical, but the villain, I did my best. And I, I know people who were in the golden dawn organization who did not agree that I fairly portrayed this character. I think they're lying to themselves because I've never felt as much for a villain in a short film as I did for him. Like, he explains in no uncertain terms through his own history and his actions why he is the way he is. He's suffered massive trauma, okay? And he was radicalized because of it. It had nothing to do with his ideology. It was trauma. He was marginalized. He was a victim of something. So, again, I inadvertently made two movies about what it takes to be radicalized and how that happens from two different sides. They're not the best films. I mean, they're also not, I hope, my best work. I don't know. I'm sure I have a few more films left in me. But I take a lot of pride in that, that I did something on a subconscious level that 
now, 10 years later, I can, or eight years later, whatever the other one was, I can look back on and I'm, I'm proud to see growth on my side. Like I did something without realizing it and it has a much deeper philosophical implication on my life now that I'm 35, 36, whatever. That's it. That's the whole podcast. I mean, that's, that's what I have today. Um, I want you guys to, uh, I mean, if you want, I'm not going to force anybody, but I would appreciate it. 3economics.io. So it's like economics, but a three on the first E instead of the E. 3economics.io. It's a new project that I'm a part of. Um, it has everything to do with emerging and disruptive technology and how it applies to like investing in generation of personal wealth. Uh, also, we got cool Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Liberate hoodies in the works. You can check those out there. So like go subscribe. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. But if you go to 3economics.io, like everything, I've made it so that it's all centralized. You can find everything you need and you can go to the podcast. We actually just had Sam Safe on the podcast. He is, uh, I didn't know, like the, the, the host, the guy I'm doing it with, Mike, he brought him on. But like Sam Safe is a big deal. This guy's like the founder of Purpose Investments, Wealth Simple. Like this is not like a random dude. Uh, and he, it was a really interesting podcast. Like the guy's, guy's fucking next level smart. So it was really interesting to hear what he has to say about it. And Mike's questions, because he's from that field, just helped to push him in a direction to give you like much more profound information about what he's talking about because Mike's well-versed in the subjects. Like if I had asked him questions, I don't even know what I would have asked him, to be honest. But yeah, three economics that I would check that out. Morning show, not happening this week because the boys, not me, the other boys <laughs> are on tour uh, in Quebec, like in the province. So they're not around. We'll be back next week. Uh, if you're watching this in the future, I mean, disregard that part of the fucking podcast. Who cares? Balabanos.com, where you can get in touch with me, and you can find all my old podcasts, my vlog. Don't watch my vlog. It was shit. Um, this Just Thing, 100 episodes of This Just Thing is accessible through there. And if you need videos or you want to get in touch with me and talk about a project, that's how you do it. My name is Phil Balabanos. Thank you for listening to me give myself a therapy session and excuse my own behaviors. Uh, and I'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to Fill My Hole. This podcast is available on YouTube in its full video form. If you're lazy and you don't want to Google it and you don't want to search on YouTube, balabanos.com. Hit the podcast section. You can subscribe directly to the RSS feed there. My name is Phil Balabanos, and I'll see you next time.